So this is my uh, second sermon in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I did a complete uh, rookie mistake, and last time I was so excited to preach the sermon, I didn't do an overview of that I wanted to in as much detail as I wanted to. So I'm going to do that this time. This part of the Sermon on the Mount, the first section of it, is what they call the beatitudes and a lot of a lot of times they take uh that word and a lot of uh preachers use a cliche and they call them the beatitudes like this is the attitude that you're supposed to be having but uh i think by and large that sells these uh things short Beatitudes actually is a word that describes extreme bliss, uh, complete joy, and uh, just overwhelming uh, happiness, to for lack of a better word. And these things, especially this one, now that I've uh, told you what beatitude means, this particular uh, beatitude is going to sound a little bit uh, strange in a list of exuberant joys, but it is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when we're talking about supreme joy, of course, uh, mourning seems counterintuitive to that idea. And the reason, I think, is because it's sometimes misinterpreted. And it's placed second to uh, blessed are the poor in spirit because that is the precursor to this. If we look at the entirety of the whole thing in the proper perspective, if we look at all of this in the perspective of somebody who has completely surrendered and given their hearts to Christ— these things make a little bit more sense to the Christian who's uh, listening to this. To anybody who hasn't taken that first step and realized their, uh, the way that their soul is, if they haven't weighed their own uh, uh, hearts, so to speak, if they haven't looked at their intentions and their actions and their uh, different uh, quirks and sins, then they're going to look at this next step and think that it's out of place. But this has both, uh, this has practical application both in the short term and in the long term. But I think what's most important about this uh, for all of us is, is the long-term aspect of this uh, portion of scripture, the long-term aspect of this blessing that God is giving us to look at our lives as we really should in light of taking that first step. And one of the things that we do when we weigh ourselves 
is we realize some of the places where we've messed up. We realize some of the things that we've done wrong and some of the things in our lives that have to go. Once we've knelt before God and, and showed him a repentant heart, it goes a little bit deeper than that with this. And it goes a little further than this. And when it says, blessed are those who mourn, of course, it says all throughout Scripture that God will be with us when we're mourning. And when I'm talking about mourning in this sense, we're talking about like if somebody passes away, if we're going through a hardship, if we're having a hard time of anything, God is always there for us. It says in Psalms uh, 56, you've kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And it says those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who will go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. And that's in Psalm 126. And those are all really good things to, to keep in mind whenever we're feeling uh, sorrowful, whenever we have uh, hurts, whenever we have uh, pains and anguish. Those are the things, those are the places where God can uh, intervene and give us peace in that situation. But in this uh, verse, I believe that Jesus is talking about something much bigger than that. And it's more complex than just our personal uh, trials that we go through. God is truly there with us in those situations. But God sees the big picture. He sees the entirety of our lives and knows our uh, innermost desires, our innermost fears, and our innermost hurts. So all of those things, even if we don't see them at the time, most of the things that we see are happening to us in the current moment or may never happen to us ever, and we're just worried about it in the future. But God knows exactly what's going to happen, and he knows exactly what's going to bring us peace and how he can go about doing that. And not just for us, but for all people. And one of the things that we mourn, especially when we first become repentant, is our own sin. We mourn our sins and realize where we've fallen short. And the reason we have to take the first step because before we can uh, appreciate this is because, like I said in the previous sermon, that once we weigh our own hearts, it becomes harder to criticize somebody else. It becomes harder to put somebody else down when you realize where you've come from and that you're no different than the other person next to you. And you cannot come to this until you've reached that point, because when you're mourning the sins of yourself, you see the sin in the world, sin in general. And it's really easy to get into a mindset where we can put other people down in the name of God, so to speak, where we can say, oh, God, I just uh, this person is so and so and all these people that uh, believe this way or all these people that do this or do that. Oh, Lord, please take them away. And that's not the right way to look at this. That's not mourning. That's uh, 
hating. That's something else entirely. And I think Jesus once wanted to start his sermon at the ground level for that reason. Because we can take any of these and misinterpret them and put them places where they shouldn't go. And a lot of times that's what people do. Now, Jesus makes uh, the example of, you know, mourning for the sins of the other people the way that it's supposed to be done in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm giving you every opportunity. It saddens me to no end that you won't listen. It saddens me, and I want nothing more than to bring you into communion with me. But you keep rejecting me. This is true mourning of sin, of general sin, of sin of the world, so to speak. If you're looking at all of the sins piling up in your neighbor's yard, are you looking at your neighbor or are you looking at the mess? And what's your intention for recognizing that? Are you pointing it out just to prove that you're better? Are you pointing it out to show to show God that you're not alone in whatever sin that you committed? Are you pointing it out so that you can act like what you're doing is not that bad? The motives behind everything have to start with being humble and repentant. Because if we haven't gotten that, if we haven't reached that point, and I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect at this at the, from the get-go, these aren't prescriptions of things that we have to do. These are things that are meant to bring us to the fullness of the joy that we can find in living with Christ. And sometimes in order to do that, in fact, every time in order to do that, we have to remove some of the things that we put in Christ's place. We have to get rid of some of the things that we thought were important, some of the things that we thought meant something to us. We thought we needed to uh, put stock in. And sometimes we learn things from other people that aren't right. Sometimes we teach ourselves things that aren't right about ourselves. Sometimes we tell ourselves things because we've heard them so often spoken from somebody else that we put ourselves down. And we have to break through those certain those things and give them to God as we recognize them so that we can attain the joy that he's talking about, so that we can attain the, uh, so that we can attain what Christ truly has in mind for us. And um, Thomas Akempis put this in a, a really good way. He says, he that mourns over the faults of his brother and supplicates for his pardon, washes and wipes the feet of Jesus. It's not that he's mourning over the faults of his brother that he becomes Christ-like. It's that he supplicates for his pardon, meaning he prays that his brother becomes free. 
He doesn't just point out somebody's flaws to point them out. He doesn't just point out somebody's flaws so that he'll feel good about himself. He points them out so that he can pray for them. He calls them he calls them by name so that he can so that he can bring uh bring them to Christ. This is really what uh Jesus is talking about in this chapter. And all of this uh, that Jesus talks about, these are are not uh, these aren't uh, things that we need to do. These are fruits of growing closer to Christ. These are fruits of being taken out of our mortal flesh and brought into the spirit to to be closer to God. And in James uh, chapter 4, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. When the, when uh, James is saying this, he's not saying that it's sinful to be happy. That's another way that people take this verse and they misinterpret it. It doesn't mean that you constantly have to go around crying and moaning and wailing. It doesn't mean that you have to constantly go around with a scowl on your face and be depressed about everything. These are not things that uh, that Jesus wants from us. He wants us to mourn what should be properly mourned. The things that should be dead in our lives. He wants us to grieve because we've died. We have sin. We've uh, traded our wonderful life with our maker for something that will give us instant gratification. And when we look at blessings as just instant gratification, then it's easy to mourn the wrong things. It's easy to look at this and think, well, God just wants me to be miserable. He wants to take this from me. He wants to take that from me because he wants me to mourn. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's talking about is uh, mourning for the, the things that aren't of Christ. Mourning for the things that uh, overall are just holding us back. They're overall just keeping us from what we would experience as true joy. And I talked about that in one of my other sermons, uh, Where's God? How sometimes we misunderstand a blessing in our lives because we see it as a, a curse because we're not seeing as far as God is. We know just the desires of our minds. God knows the desires of our hearts. We think we know what's best for us, but we only know what's best in the moment. God knows what's best eternally. He knows what's going to bring us closer to him. He knows what's going to bring us real joy. So he knows the things that we need to uh, repent of. He knows the things that we need to get rid of. He knows the things that we have to have a funeral for because they no longer serve us. And when it talks about... Um, the way that our um, we should mourn 
the sins of others is uh, also kind of shown in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 9. And he sees a messenger from heaven, an angel with a uh, writing kit, and he goes and he says to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over the detestable things that are done in it. And I talked about this in um, my sermon about the Mark of the Beast, where this is pretty much describing um, how God seals us with his spirit, that the Holy Spirit is uh, given to us, as all believers, He's it's given to us as a gift and a comforter. And in this uh, verse, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is something that it, we uh, are attaining by uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. When God gives us a spirit, we're able to see these things better. That's one of the things that the Spirit does in our lives is shows us the parts that are broken we mourn for those things, and the Spirit comforts us, showing us a taste of what's to come. To show us that all the things that we're stripping off are not going to be a loss, but a gain. And when we look at the world as a whole, and we see how the sin pervades every single aspect of our lives, we can take heart in knowing that God is going to dethrone evil take his throne and rid the world of that, that he's going to wipe away every tear. And it says in Revelation 21, he will wipe away the, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It says uh, that God is going to take all of this wickedness all of this evil, all of this sorrow, all of the mourning that we're doing, and turn it into joy. It's all going to be eradicated. It's all going to be taken care of. And that's true in our current moments of sorrow. And that's true in our future moments of sorrow. And that's true as we get to heaven and look back on all of our sorrows. And we see how God has brought us out of those, how he's taken us to a place of joy and peace, and how um, it, by comparison, it's not, um, it's almost like nothing. And Paul touches on this. I'm trying to find the verse that... Uh, Paul says that in, but basically, Paul says that when we look back on all of our sufferings, when we look back on all of the um, pain that we've endured, it will pale in comparison to the weight of glory that is in Christ Jesus. When we finally approach the throne and we finally meet our maker, all of this stuff, as bad as it is, is going to turn out 
to be nothing in comparison to the goodness that we experience then. That's the comfort that comes from this type of mourning, to, to see the sin in the world, to see the sorrow, to see the sadness, only to know that one day it's going to come to an end. And it says in Isaiah uh, chapter 61, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And it says in uh, Luke chapter 6, where um, Jesus actually is um, talking about another verse in Isaiah, which I'm going to go over after this to kind of uh, compare them. He says, Woe to you who are well fed now, you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And in Isaiah chapter 65, it says, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail and brokenness of spirit. And this is, uh, as I was saying before, how... A lot of times we look at these temporary blessings as something to be, uh, as things that we really want. We look at these things as the desires of our hearts when really they're just the desires of our eyes. Not even all the time the desires of our minds. Sometimes we see it and we want it just because it's there and because it's shiny. Sometimes we look at the world and we see things that we think we're missing out on. But in all actuality, it's poison. It's not going to give us any sustenance. And what Jesus and Isaiah, and God is saying through Isaiah is that we may look at these things as though they're the greatest things ever. We watch criminals laugh. We see people who are immoral or amoral and are living lives of luxury. They have money. They have power. They have wealth people who are throwing their money around because they have no care for anybody else, the rich elite who are taking part in sinister activities just to uh, appease themselves. These things may look to us like injustice. They may look to us like how could somebody like that live a life of luxury and somebody who is a churchgoer, somebody who cares about the community? Uh, one person that comes to mind is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., how he embodied the life of a Christian and was assassinated by somebody who was just filled with pure hatred. While there's people who are full of pure hatred that walk this earth free uh, like Nazi war criminals who've lived full lives. Some of them even had pretty uh, extravagant lives 
and they were able to get by until the very end. And to us, this looks like injustice. To us, this looks like the most terrible thing that we could possibly be uh, imagining. But to God, who sees this life as just a flicker, who sees this life as just a blip on an eternal radar, doesn't see these as injustices because he sees them taking a reward that they're taking that joy. They're taking that uh, momentary piece of satisfaction that is only going to be a portion of the eternity that they're called to live. So somebody on this earth can spend every single day of their lives in misery and pain. And when they approach heaven, they will experience an eternity of extreme peace and joy. Somebody on this earth can lavish themselves in wickedness and evil and spend a tiny portion of their eternity with joys, not joy, not a joy that Christ can give. They don't know what that feels like, but minor happinesses. A lot of times, uh, I read a, a statistic one time. They were saying that they did a study and they took um, people who were lottery winners, like a million dollars or more, and amputees, people who have had a limb amputated due to an injury or a disease or something like that. And they gauged their happiness level throughout a whole year. And by the end of the year, both of these groups had the same amount of happiness. They had the people who had their limbs amputated probably found peace they probably got used to it, and they probably found a way to live their lives pretty much close to how they did before. The millionaire spent a bunch of money, bought a bunch of stuff, and realized that it doesn't ever fill that hole that they honestly want to fill. And at the same at at the end of the year, they are typically in the same mental frame of mind. So when we look at these cases of people who live these lives, we see the outside. And I was taught, do not compare your insides with somebody else's outsides, because it's generally uh, like comparing apples to oranges. They could look like they got it all together. They could look like they're having a good life. And on the other hand, somebody could look like they're having a miserable life. They could have trial after trial after trial come over them, and from our perspective, it looks wrong. But from each of their perspectives, we don't know what they're feeling. The person who committed atrocities, evils, and then lived a life that looks luxurious, I don't know what that feels like to have something so horrendous on my conscience, to have something so evil within me that I have to carry that burden around. 
And on the other hand, somebody who's going through extreme trials may be seeing those blessings. Uh, one thing uh, that about me, I guess, uh, a lot of times people will tell me their life story. And I'm glad for it. And I basically hold it as like the like under the seal of the confessional, like, so to speak, that I don't divulge what I hear, but I just listen. And a lot of times I realize that most of the time, the stories that people tell me are not very happy. Usually when people tell me their life stories, it's speckled with good things and bad things, mostly what I would consider bad and there's even times where they'll tell me a story and they smile as though that's the good part. And to me, it's still sad. To me, it seems uh, unjust and sad, but they find a joy in it. And I think that that's uh, one of the dangers of this. Sometimes we want to um, cry injustice for the wrong reason. Sometimes we want to cry, this is wrong for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we want to uh, point out flaws that aren't there and refuse to look at the ones that are. And a lot of times when we look at these cases where there's uh, somebody who is, you know, bad or whatever that uh, is living a life of luxury or, uh, earthly bliss sometimes they're being punished more harshly than we know sometimes they're being punished more harshly than uh, we realize but at the same time we're in a world that kind of puts some of the stuff like that on a pedestal we're in a world where people uh want to uh, reward certain people and condemn others and then look at it and wonder why everything's so unjust. They want to look at it and think, why is this so backwards? The reason is, is we're all full of sin. And that's why if we don't take the first step to realize how much sin we have, we can't look at our brothers rightly. We can't see sin for what it truly is until we see it in ourselves. Because most of us can't see out there until we've seen it in here. A lot of times it's hard to uh, put ourselves in somebody else's shoes until we've walked in them. That's why the proverb has lasted the test of time, because it's true. A lot of times we don't know what somebody's going through until we're going through it. It's easy to look at somebody with no, uh, with very little uh, sympathy if we don't understand what they're going through. And um, that's why certain things are, exist, like uh, Holocaust denial, things like that. That's why uh, racial injustice, a lot of times none of us have been put in a place to feel that way. 
We've never seen or experienced things like this. The one good example is this pandemic. A lot of people have taken it and uh, picked it apart and uh, like they, I have to say, it baffles me how some people manage to skip some of the uh, high school science lessons that they had and they jump on all this crazy stuff because this is something that they've never experienced before. And a lot of times when we haven't experienced something, we don't look at it as, uh, we can look at it as from any eyes that we want to, from whatever somebody tells us. But I can tell you right now that, uh, and please be praying, but my wife has COVID at this very moment and uh, I'm negative. My son's negative. My mother-in-law is negative, but there's people in my family right now that are currently sick. I've had other people in my family that have gotten COVID and gotten sick. I've known people who have gotten COVID and died. And until you can see it from the perspective of somebody who has uh, witnessed, you know, what this can do, it's not as scary. When it first started, I was weighing all of the information that came in and picking through it and seeing, you know, what, uh, what to believe, what not to believe, when to be panicked. And some people are still doing that because I still haven't known anybody that's, uh, been, they haven't been as close to it as, uh, some people have. And sometimes it's easy to look at things that um, are happening in the world and look at them with stoicism because we don't know what it's like. And for me, a lot of times uh, I can identify with people who are put down for different uh, um, different things like a lot of uh, racial injustice things like that people who are marginalized people who are pushed to the sidelines I can identify with that because I've been there having autism and not knowing it for until my adulthood has put me in a position that uh I've been kind of pushed around a lot. I've been uh, bullied and ridiculed and put down for my entire life. I've been told that I was different and weird and all that stuff. And so I've kind of made friends with the outliers and the outcasts and the outsiders because that's where I fit in. So when I see somebody who's being persecuted, somebody who's being put down for something that... Uh, you know, like, that they can't change, like, the color of their skin, I identify with that because I know what it's like to not be able to change and everybody tell you that you're wrong. I know what it's like to be looked at in a different way just because of something that I can't help. And 
I don't usually touch on topics like this, and I, I actually am probably going to touch up on them a little later in uh, these sermons because they fit, but it's, it's the ba main point is that it's not enough to just take what's, uh, what's inside and weigh it. You have to look at what you have in your heart, examine it, look at the things that are wrong in you. Then when you look out at the world and see things that are wrong with it, things that you uh, have a chance to put a stop to, that you have a chance to uh, pray for. If you see somebody who is struggling, you can pray for that person. If you see somebody who's going through hard times, you can pray for that person. But a lot of times you can't pray for that person if you don't have the sympathy in order to do so. And that comes from experience. That comes from realizing where we come from. That comes from realizing the pain inside of our hearts is not because of uh, something that's just for us. It's not just something that affects us. It's something that affects us all. When we see the sin in ourselves, we can see the sin in other people. And when we see the sin in those people, we can forgive them easier. When we see where we came from, when we see what we've done, when we see ourselves the way that God sees us, it gives us a new perspective. It helps us to realize that we're not only not alone in our sin, but we're not distant from God when we cry to Him. When we realize the things that we've done wrong can be healed in another person, that's powerful. When we realize the sin that we have in our lives can be removed for us, and then we realize it can be removed for somebody else, that's motivation to pray for that person. When I see somebody who looks lost, somebody who is maybe engaged in something that I don't agree with, maybe they are a atheist or a Satanist or a whatever. When I see that and I realize that that has been healed in me, those are things that God has healed in me. I know that God can heal them. I know that God can take that and bring them peace. So while I may look at it with new eyes, having been filled with the Spirit, knowing that what sin is, recognizing it not only in myself, but recognizing it in others, I can then pray from a place of knowing that God can take whatever it is and bring it to good. That He can take whatever it is and save the soul of another person. And that is what's important. That's what the goal of Christians is. It's not to shove things down people's throats. It's not to uh, take a list of verses and try to make ourselves look good. What this, is, this life is about is seeing ourselves the way God sees us seeing what God is going to make us. And that is the ultimate fulfillment of all of our joy. 
and then looking at our brothers and sisters and being able to bring them into the same family. Looking at family members that are lost, thinking about how they can be saved. Looking at people who are walking around in sorrow, knowing that one day they could be cheering joyfully next to you. That is the reason that we mourn these things. Because the mourning produces joy. It says in uh, the book of James, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in, in nothing. And when you look at life through that perspective, knowing that uh, we may go through hard times, we may go through tough situations, and it may be, uh, it may bring us sorrow. We know as Christians that it's not going to stay that way, that it's not going to stay sorrowful. Every single piece of hurt or pain that we feel is building us into something better. It's bringing us to higher planes. It's taking us places that bring us closer to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, uh, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads to salvation, and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. When we look at our sorrows and uh, the perspective of Christians saved by grace, knowing that what God is doing in our lives is for our benefit, that whenever we do face a trial, whenever we do go through something, whenever we do see somebody that has something that we don't have, we can easily recognize that God is taking us on a journey that is meant for us to attain the joys of our heart, to have all of the good things that God has promised, to attain all that God has in store for us, so that when we get there and we're in his presence and we see him face to face and we look back at all these trials, all these troubles and all these tribulations, and then see our maker wipe the tears from our eyes, we can look back and see that this was all for our joy. I want to pray. Um, oh, Heavenly Father, if there's anybody out there that's feeling sorrow, that is, maybe they've taken that first step and they can see all of the things that are broken in themselves. Maybe they've walked to the altar, gave their lives to you, and now they're starting to see where they came from. Now they're starting to feel some of the broken places. Now they're starting to experience some of the brokenness that's around them. They're starting to see with uh, more moral eyes what is going on around them. Bring them comfort and peace. Show them how it's working in their lives. Show them how it's show teaching them about you. Show them what 
they need to know about your love that they can find by clinging to you, drawing closer to you, and using these experiences as stepping stones towards the joy that you have for them. Help them to see these blessings that you've preached, these blessings, these beatitudes, and help them to be able to look at them with clearer eyes. Help them to be able to see them in the way that you intend for them to see them. Help them to realize they're not rules, hard and fast rules, but these are the pathway to the peace that you've called us all to. And I thank you for all that you do. I love you and praise you. It's in your Holy Son's name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.